0: listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene online at BethanyNaz.org. So how do you um, maintain momentum in your walk with God or how do you how do you um, you know create momentum in your walk with God. So we've been talking uh, about practices for a long time and we've identified six practices that we think God uses as a means of grace to help us grow in our faith, to gain momentum with our walk with God, and, and, and to keep momentum. Who can name all six? The, the first is, you know, worshiping together, and then worshiping one-on-one time with God, and then group life, sharing of our resources, serving, and sharing our faith. So I'm always asking myself, Rick, how are you doing In the practices. And so today we're going to talk about two of those practices worshiping together and one on one time with God. So let me tell you a story. I was just this past week at lunch with a good friend. Great guy. Love to spend time with him. I feel like God always kind of is in the midst of our conversation. And so I said, I got to tell you about something that happened to me. And so I'm telling him about this experience that I had a few days before where I just felt the presence of God in a very intimate way. Do you know what I mean? I remember preaching a few, you know, years ago about thin places. It's that moment in your life where you feel like the distance between heaven and earth diminishes. And you just feel the presence of God In a very powerful way. It's like a thin place. And so as I'm telling him this story, I sensed it even in that moment, that same sense that God was very near, God was very close. It felt like the distance between heaven and earth had diminished, and I was just I was just in the presence of God. And and about the time that I finished the story, the food comes and he says, Let me pray. And when he prays, I realized that he sensed it too. Because when he prayed, he said, God, thank you. And he borrowed some words from the Apostle Paul for the witness of your spirit that we just felt a moment ago. So, you know what a thin place is? It's that that moment in your life where where you feel like that God is very, very near. You could probably tell me stories about experiences like that that you've had. I think there's a couple of ways that we that we come to that place. And, and I think one is they just show up. So Annette and I yesterday were visiting with a, a godly little man who is 95 years old who probably doesn't have much time left on this earth. And we were praying with him. And as we were praying with him... It felt like one of those very intimate moments with God. A thin place where the distance between heaven and earth diminished. I think there's also times when we place ourselves before God. So, Rick, what do you mean by that? Well, like right now. So you got up this morning with the intention, I'm going to go to church. And you got yourself ready. You had to drive yourself here And you had to walk through the doors of the building and then you came in and you sat down and you said, okay, I'm, I'm coming to church today. And, and you've taken this time and you've set it aside and you've basically said, okay, God, here I am. I'm going to focus on you and I'm going to worship you and I'm going to spend this time with you. And many of you would say that this is the largest block of time I spend focused on God in my entire week. So what you've done is you've placed yourself before God. I think there's two different ways that we place ourselves before God. And 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 there's two practices that we talk about. And one is when we worship together, just like you're doing right now. It doesn't have to be in a group this large. But you've come together this morning. You've placed yourself before God. You've said, okay, Lord, I'm here. I'm going to focus on you. I'm going to worship you. Here I am before you. I think the other the other way is in one-on-one time with God. So I don't know how it works for you, but for me, it's early morning. It's my best option. I'm going to find the Word of God open in front of me, and lots of times I open that on my phone. I'm going to spend some time reading, thinking, digesting what I've read and thought, and then I'm going to pray. Just some one-on-one time with God every day. I love this idea of read it through in 2022. I mean, think about this. Can you imagine if most of Bethany First Church of the Nazarene and both of our services read the Bible through in 2022? That is one-on-one time with God. That's spending time every day saying, God, okay, my heart's open. Here we go. You just take some time and you talk to me, you know, one-on-one time with God. What are you driving at, Rick Harvey? I believe that often when we put ourselves before God, that something supernatural happens. We catch a glimpse of God. We see Him. We, we find ourselves at a very thin place. God speaks to us. The distance between heaven and earth seems to diminish. And we find God to be a very inter- intimate friend. So I'm not just pulling that out of the air. I'm, I'm coming from the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah. Isaiah. And so Isaiah is a prophet who one day places himself before God in worship, so he's in the temple. Frankly, he is probably there on an official role as the prophet and, and of the court, and, and he is he is participating in the temple ceremonies, and so whatever that looked like for him, this is what it looks like for us today, okay? We've come to church, and we're participating in worship. And and when Isaiah was there in that moment, he saw God. And I want to unpack that story for you. So if you will open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6, okay? Isaiah chapter 6. I'm going to start with verse 1. Let me give you a little bit of a context before I start reading. Uh, you remember Israel is now divided into two kingdoms, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. and And Judah is the southern kingdom. Uh, Uzziah is the king. He has been king for 52 years. And although the cities are fortified, okay, and although the army is really big and really strong, and although the, the seaport is busy with commerce, everything on the outside of Judah looks like things are going great, but they're not going great because the moral fabric of the nation is in decay. Ethical standards are very low. Religion is kind of just a formal thing that we do. And the poor have been completely forgotten about. And people are worshiping idols. Things are not good with Judah. And so the king dies. But there is this young prophet whose name is Isaiah. And he speaks to the leaders of Jerusalem and Judah on behalf of God. And he talks to them about judgment, but he also talks to them about hope. And so it's in this context that we get to chapter 6. You ready? Here we go. So Isaiah says in the year that king Uzziah died I saw the Lord. He was high and exalted, seated on a throne. And the train of his robe it, it filled the whole temple. Now above him were seraphim, and each had six wings. With two they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, the whole earth is full of His glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorpost, I think about the doorpost, and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke, a lot like the smoke that is filling this place today. Woe to me, I cried. I'm ruined, Isaiah says, for I'm a man of unclean lips. And listen to this, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And now my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And then one of the seraphim, one of the angels, flew to me with a live coal, meaning a burning piece of coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth, not to punish me, it was grace, and said, see, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Who will do this task that I need them to do? And I said, here I am. Send me. I love it. Do you love it? I just love it. When, when, when I was born, my, my father was not a Christian man. He wasn't living a Christian life. In fact, my dad was living the opposite of a Christian life. So I'm not going to get heavy in the details, but I'll, I think I need to just say a few things to you. He was, he was not faithful to my mother in their marriage. Uh, he was abusing alcohol. He did not provide for us as a family. When I was born, we lived in a house that did not have adequate electricity, and it had no indoor plumbing. No indoor plumbing. And so, my mother began attending the Nazarene Church in this small Kentucky town that I was raised in. And, and the pastor of the Nazarene Church started coming out to my house on Saturday afternoon to visit my dad and to invite him to church. And so, my dad would talk to the guy, but he wasn't real friendly with him, and sometimes he would kind of smart off, like... One day the pastor says to my dad, "Well, I got to go, Kendall. Uh, Maybe I'll see you tomorrow." And my dad says, "Why? Are you coming back out to the house tomorrow?" And the pastor says, "No, I'm, I'm hoping you'll come to church tomorrow." And my dad says, "I'm not. I'm not coming to your church." And so one day the pastor is out at my house visiting my dad, and he says to my dad, "Hey, I I want you to do something, okay?" I want you to let me and my wife, Anita, come out and pick you and Cecil. My mother's name is Cecil. My dad is Kendall. I know. It seems backwards, doesn't it? Pick you guys up and take you to Summersville, which is only 30 minutes from where I lived. And, and and we want to take you to the Kentucky District Camp Meeting. All the churches in the area kind of come together. and And there's lots of people there. And we have this camp meeting. I think you would love it. And so my dad says, I don't know why to this day, as he's telling me many years later, I don't know why I said yes, but I said yes. And so sure enough, he and his wife, they drive out to our house. My dad says, your mom and I, we get in the car and we go driving 30 miles away to Summersville. We eat at this little restaurant and then we go to this camp meeting service. The guy who was preaching that night was a guy named Dr. G.B. Williamson. He was a general superintendent in the church of the Nazarene. In fact, I sat by his son this morning in first service. And his his granddaughter, uh, Andrea Guy, is a part of our church. And he was preaching. And at the end of his sermon, he gives an invitation to come forward. And to accept Jesus Christ into your heart. And my daddy steps out into the aisle and he walks down to the altar. And he gets on his knees. My mother says he wept like a baby. And that night, it was like my dad was born again. It's like he got this whole new life, everything changed. I didn't know it. I was only four years old. But that night, the trajectory of my life changed forever. The trajectory of my family changed. And all of a sudden, the money that my dad was making started making its way home. And before you know it, we moved into a house that had running water and a bathroom and electricity and everything. And our lives were different from that night forward. My dad became as zealous as a Christian as he had been as a sinner. (laughs) So he was just like all in. It was like whatever God wants me to do, I'm going to do. Whatever God asks of me, the answer is yes. And my dad began living in that moment this born again new life in Jesus. It was awesome. So the other day, a few weeks ago. I'm, I'm preparing to preach from this Isaiah passage. And I was at my office at home, and I reach up on a shelf, and I pull down an old commentary. An old commentary that I've loved over the years. Written by Nazarene. And when I start studying this passage, when I get to the end of the passage, the guy quotes none other than G.B. Williamson. Andrea Guy's grandfather, John Williamson's dad, the guy that was preaching the night my dad became a Christian. And he just briefly quotes him. And and here's what it says. Okay? Isaiah saw God. But he also saw his own sinfulness. I think there's times in our lives when we find ourselves... At a thin place, where the distance between heaven and earth seems to diminish, and we sense the very powerful, overwhelming presence of God, we not only see God in that moment, but we see ourselves for who we really are. We see our own sinfulness. But but that wasn't word stop for Isaiah. After he saw his own sinfulness, he saw God's grace. It was God saying, come on Isaiah, I can help you. I can touch you. I can change you. I can use you. And then he saw the work that was assigned to him. Isaiah, you have no idea what I'm going to do through you. Isaiah, I know you can't grasp it. I know you can't get it. But 2,700 years from now, in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, Rick Harvey is going to stand in front of the people that attend Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. And guess who he's going to talk about, Isaiah? He's going to talk about you. (laughs) How cool is this? You have no idea what I'm going to do through you. And as I stood there, looking at that, Words of G.B. Williamson, the guy who preached the night my dad was saved. I realized, let me change just the top two lines. This is my father's story. Because that night in Somersville, Kentucky, when G.B. Williamson was preaching, my dad caught a glimpse of God. What a thin place it must have been, right? And not only did my dad see God, but my dad stood there and he saw himself for who he really was and the man that he had become. And he was ashamed. But it didn't stop there. My dad saw God's grace. It was like God was saying, Come on, Kendall. <laughs> come on, Kendall. I can take that guilt away. I can take that sin away. I can change your heart. Just come to me. And that's when my dad stepped out and walked down the aisle and he knelt at the altar and he cried like a baby and he said, God, I'm really sorry. And then my dad saw the work assigned to him. My dad was like the ultimate volunteer. He was on the church board. He drove the church van. He fixed anything that was broken. He was there any that he could be a help. Anybody he could talk to about Jesus, he talked to about Jesus. Sometimes us as kids, we were like sinking in our seats in restaurants. Dad, don't talk to this person about Jesus. You know, he talked to everybody about Jesus. And then I realized, I'll change the top line again. That's what I saw. I was 19 years old. I went to church on a Sunday night in my hometown. And it was a thin moment. I caught a glimpse of God. And not only did I see God, but I saw my own sinfulness. And I was ashamed of the person that I had become. But it didn't stop there. I saw God with his arms open saying, come on, Rick. (laughs) Come on to me. And I remember stepping out that night and walking down the aisle, and I remember feeling forgiven. And I was like, I'll do anything you ask me to do. All I want to do is know you more, and be with you, God. Whatever you want, I'll do it. So could I change the top line one more time? Do you remember when you saw God? Can you remember instances in your life, and I've had many, where you felt like you were at a very thin place, and God seemed very near, and you felt like God was talking to you, but you also saw your own sinfulness, but you saw God's grace? And when you responded to God, you felt like you were ready to do anything in the world God would ever ask you to do. See, I, I, I think about Isaiah's response. And it is, it, is, it is powerful. He says, woe is me, I cried. I'm, I'm a man of unclean lips. And it's not just me, God. It's the people around. We're all unclean. We've all got issues in our life. We've all messed up. We've all... Turned our backs on you. We've all lived in ways that we shouldn't live. And now, here I am. I have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. The reason I want to talk to you this morning about the fact that there are these times in our lives when we find ourselves at a very thin place and God seems very near, it's often in those moments that we see ourselves for who we really are. And I can tell you that many times over the years, I have just stood full of shame and said, God, I'm sorry. I'm not the man that you dream of me being. I'm not the husband that I could be. I'm not the father that I should be. I'm not the Christian that you dream of me being. I've got nothing. I'm sorry. Annette and I were home the other night, and uh, we were only home for a few minutes. We come in from work, and uh, we were just kind of, uh, you know, freshening up a little bit, and uh, headed out to a meeting. And the doorbell rings, and we're both in the living room at the time that it rings. And Annette walks over, and she opens the door, and it's a it's a little boy, and Annette thinks maybe he was maybe nine or, or ten years old, and uh, his mother we assume is in a car. Uh, on the street with the car running with her window down, not that she could hear everywhere, but she's kind of, you know, present there for him. And when Annette opens the door and he's standing there, she says, hello. And he says, would you like to buy some candy bars? And so Annette says, "Um, well, I'm sure we can buy some candy bars. How much are your candy bars? And I'm not making this up. Okay. I'm telling you just straight up truth right here. The little boy looks up at Annette and says, they are a dollar a piece, or you can have my whole box for 60. <laughs> Talk about an entrepreneurial spirit. I mean, you got to admire this kid, right? <laughs> and that kind of goes, okay, uh, what kind do you have? And he tells her what kind, and then he says again, and they're a dollar a piece, or you can have my whole box for 60. And so, how do you even explain that to your spouse Honey, why are there 60 candy bars in the pantry? You know, it seems like to say, oh, I bought a box of chocolates doesn't seem like a great explanation, right? It's not sufficient. You know, I I think I admire the kid, though, because it was like, uh, you know, can we just cut to the chase here? I'm not interested in selling candy bars or knocking on doors. I want to go home and play video games. So if you just give me 60 bucks, I'm done, you know. I think there's times in our lives when we have that spirit of, you know what? I don't want to do a song and dance. And I think that there is nobody more in that space than Isaiah was in the temple that day when he stands before God. God, I don't have a song and dance. And I'm not interested in making a bunch of excuses as to why I am unclean and undone. I don't I don't have any interest in trying to uh cover up I'm just going to tell you straight up, God. I'm a mess. I am unclean, I am undone, and I'm sorry. And the problem is God, it's not just me. There's a bunch of us like this. I think the word that Isaiah uses is crucial when he addresses God. As you know, there are many names for God. Jehovah, Elohim. The word that Isaiah uses, though, is Adonai. Adonai. It, it tells us something about the state of Isaiah's heart. Adonai is a form of the word Adon, which comes from the root word meaning to rule. So, when we use the word Adonai to address God, it means like Lord, or maybe even more specifically like Master. And so when Isaiah says to God, I have seen the king, Adonai, He is really at a place of submission to God. And so not only has he confessed that I'm undone, he also says, I'm also done. I'm finished. I'm tired of it. I'm sick of it. And I'm quitting. I'm not going to keep living this way. I'm going to surrender now to you, and you are my Lord, and you are my master. And later again, he uses the same word when he addresses God, and he says, not Elohim and not Yahweh, but he says, Adonai, I am undone God, and I'm done being undone. I need help. And and how does God meet confession and surrender? With grace. Grace. And the angel comes and takes a coal from the altar and touches it to his lips and says, now, your guilt is taken away? Is there anybody in the room this morning who says, I would love for my guilt to be taken away? Rick Harvey, if you only knew the guilt that I'm carrying in my heart today your guilt is taken away and your sin is covered your sin is atoned for so I wonder if somebody is looking at me right now and thinking to yourself wow never been there Never had an angel fly over (laughs) with a hot burning coal and touch it to my lips. I guess if that happened, there wouldn't be any doubt, though, about where I stood with God. I think I would feel pretty well forgiven and caught up. And I want to challenge you that we are going to celebrate Christmas in just over a month. And that's when God sent His one and only Son into the world because He loved the world. And God has provided the experience that Isaiah had for you and for me through Jesus. It is completely, 100%, absolutely guaranteed and available for you this morning. We can take away your guilt, God says, and we can cover over all your sins. And you can stand before God this morning clean. Wow. I'm done. I love the last words. Who can we send? i got a job to do, you know. (laughs) And Isaiah says, well, I'm right here. What about sending me? I'll do anything you ask me to do. And so God reveals himself to us. And God lets us see ourselves for who we really are. And then God expresses his grace to us. And he cleans us up and he says, now you are going to be amazed at what I'm going to do through you. So how do you respond to that? I think there's somebody here. Somebody is saying, Rick, today has been a bit of a thin place for me. God's talking to me. But I don't mind admitting to you that I see myself for who I really am. But I also see God's arms open and He's wanting me to come to Him. And I've always believed that God would use me if I would just surrender my life to Him. I think what you do is you accept His grace. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at BethanyNaz.org.